Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we do our best to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. Today, we're going to be talking about the Twitter files, a.k.a. the Twitter internal emails about the Hunter Biden laptop coverage decisions that journalist Matt Taibbi received from somewhere with some unknown stipulations attached. We will also cover the latest developments in the FTX scandal and Sam Bankman-Fried's startling admission that he gave a bunch of dark money to the Republicans for the 2022 midterm elections. And we'll have an update on the other declared candidate in the GOP presidential primary campaign, Kanye West, and the absolutely unhinged interview he did with Alex Jones recently. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We've got a great show for you today. So, Jay, you're back. How's the new kid doing? He's good. He is. He was born Wednesday morning, and uh, he's happy and healthy. And, yeah, it's it's actually pretty easy right now because he's sleeping a lot. So I, I don't have too many complaints. It's it's the other kids that are uh, that are, <laughs> that are wild and crazy and they are a blast, waking us aren't up. They? <laughs> oh, there's, it's always something. But, no, we're, we're good and trying to slowly... Uh, catch up on sleep but it's a it's a work in progress <laughs> right on. yeah it definitely is um so did you get a chance to check out uh the twitter files by any chance oh i did i did <laughs> many times while uh holding a sleeping baby but yes i have <laughs> i have kept up with it uh or the the lack of it i lack guess of it yeah the, you could almost fall asleep waiting for the next installment of the twitter files to show up these much touted twitter files got uh, released last weekend and it was supposed to be full of bombshells about the censorship of the New York Post story in 2020 about Hunter Biden's laptop. And MAGA couldn't really make that story stick in 2020. And this time around, the Twitter files seemed to have had all the impact of a fart in the air conditioning. What we saw with this release was a slow-moving Twitter thread from former journalist Matt Taibbi. Taibbi, you might remember, was brought in in 2018 to try and whitewash Bill Barr's decision to wind up the Mueller investigation from the left. And now he's being accused of doing PR work for the world's richest man, but he really doesn't like that framing because it's essentially the opposite of the stuff that he used to write and he got famous writing. So this guy was a left-wing gonzo journalist who really took the bark off of Wall Street and billionaires and Goldman Sachs and now he's carrying water for Elon Musk. What do you, what happened? Well, he would say, as these types often do, that he didn't change, that everyone else did. <laughs> That's the common refrain, whether it's Glenn Greenwald or Matt Taibbi or Cassandra Fairbanks. It's, well, I've always been this. You just, you guys changed and the world around me changed. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't buy it and I don't think you do either. Mm, um, not really. Yeah, Taibbi really hates that that framing of PR for the the world's richest man. But Elon himself in a tweet admitted that he he's the one who gave this to Taibbi. He admitted that these these internal Twitter documents that he got after he purchased Twitter and he handed them off to Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss, Barry Weiss, right, and someone else that he's so far not naming. Don't huh. know what that's about, but I guess we'll 
find out one day. But yeah, that the Matt Taibbi of old, I think I think I was looking through it and I, I think this does explain why he's really hesitant to say, oh, I'm just doing Elon Musk bidding, even though he Taibbi released that uh, little message on his Substack saying that this kind of came out of nowhere and he had to agree to certain conditions, which he does not elaborate on. Right. He, had, he had to agree to certain conditions to do this, but he was handed this huge story. Yeah, you can call it PR. He's doing what Elon Musk wants. But you you look back at some of these old headlines for Taibi at Rolling Stone around 2008, 2011, the Great Recession, Matt Taibbi makes a name for himself going after Wall Street and Goldman Sachs. And you see these headlines like how Goldman execs screwed their clients and lied to Congress. That's 2011. And you get Goldman, new reform law can kiss our ass. Another one that's looting Main Street, how the nation's biggest banks are ripping off American cities with the same predatory deals that brought down Greece. You've got another about a billionaire bailout recipient to america suck it in and cope buddy (laughs) and that's 2010 which billionaire which bailout matt right right it was a the vice chair of warren buffett's berkshire hathaway yeah so matt taibbi was he was hard on those guys those billionaires their corruption and they're just looting and stealing from america and they're they're man it but it is it is that pretty clear leftist position, mm-hmm. uh, which Rolling Stone was was known for, and it's what you'd expect. But now it's, it's twelve years later, and Matt Taibbi is getting handed quote unquote scoops from Elon Musk. It's worth pointing out that the last time Matt Taibbi kind of went viral for something like this, he did it in a slightly different manner. He released what was ostensibly a chapter from his upcoming book entitled Russiagate is this generation's WMD. And, you know, he made some comments about how it hadn't been proven and that liberals and anybody who still had an issue with supposed Russian collusion needed to get over it. It was just making them look bad, made them seem hysterical and untrustworthy. And then some weird stuff happened the next day. Bill Barr, who had just been installed by Trump as attorney general, decides that he's going to shut down the Mueller investigation at the time. And he releases a four-page memo summarizing the quote-unquote conclusions, which was later refuted not only by Robert Mueller, but by a district judge saying, no, this is not what was in that report, had all the hallmarks of a whitewash. And then every MAGA influencer on the planet blasted out Taibbi's article simultaneously with Barr's report coming out. And it really had the sort of feel of a really coordinated information op to it. Like these people knew it was coming and they were using it as an excuse to, you know, get away from the whole idea of Russiagate, the whole idea of Trump's connections, the Trump campaign's connections to Russia. Some very, very legitimate things that were being investigated and they figured out a way to shut that down and they used Matt Taibbi's article is cover with a certain segment of the population. And I think people people knew that was coming this time. They they remembered who this guy was, if not from his articles back then, but it was like, wait a second, this is the guy who collaborated with all these all these people to help shut down the Mueller investigation. Maybe we should be a little skeptical about what this guy's bringing to the table. Yeah, Bill Barr is is currently doing the rounds of, oh, Trump has to be stopped. He's a menace and the Republican Party needs to move on. But it is a 
It's not a monster he created, but he really went out of his way to protect Trump. The Mueller report did not say the things that that Barr claimed it did, that though he's been exonerated and there's no collusion and all this. It was much more up in the air and it was much more kind of about, yeah, there could be, we could find more and there's evidence that's concerning. He said he couldn't prove collusion or he couldn't argue it in court. And as far as obstructing justice, it was an open question. But Barr made it very clear that Trump did nothing wrong, mm -hmm. as it were. And Taibbi has been criticized pretty heavily for this because he he posted this article, Russiagate is this generation's WMD, which, of course, is about Iraq, which he covered and saying that, oh, it's just this hoax that the media bought and has been trying to sell you because the the deep state sold them on it. And, and they've just been trying to prove that they weren't lying this whole time. But aha, now we know. And Taibbi yeah. claims that that he didn't coordinate this with anyone, that he didn't know when Barr was releasing it. But it just, it rings hollow. The whole thing, it seemed very coordinated at the time, and it honestly seems even more so now. But it got picked up by RT, and this Taibbi article, it got tweeted out by Don Jr., and all these members of the Trump campaign and ex-Trump White House people, you had Cernovich and Posobiec and the usual MAGA troll crew that were, honestly, they were just gleeful. Yeah, they were, they were just waiting for it. Mm -hmm. I remember watching them that day because I knew it was coming and just waiting and seeing, okay, how are they going to play this? And they were all just... Oh, they were ready. And and Barr was a little late coming to the podium and to, to make his statements. A lot of times these press conferences, just they say they're at two and they end up being at three thirty. But they were they were so ready for it. And they I remember him posting the Posobic posting the meme of the, the the guy with a stick trying to trying to poke someone. Just come on, just just do it already. Just do it already. Cause they knew what was coming. They were ready. And Taibi's article it gave it some legitimacy. It it added to that idea that, hey, this is all a hoax and, and Russiagate was just made up by the deep state and the media. Right. And it made it so they weren't just playing clips of bar or sharing screenshots. It's, well, we even, this has even been dissected in the long form. Here's one of your guys saying it. Right. Here's this lefty. Even mm -hmm. the lefties get it. Even even the lefties know that you've just been sold this lie. And, and this guy, he he went after Wall Street and the billionaires. He wouldn't and, lie to you. Yeah, he wouldn't lie to you. Oh, well, it just got picked up by RT because well, it, nah, we're just not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Having it be Taibi, I guess the uh, the goal was to get it to ring true with certain people on the left, and I, I suppose it did that. But when you when you start to dissect it and say like, okay, this is saying Trump didn't collude with Russia, even though there's a lot of weird evidence of connections to Russia and contacts between Russian individuals and the Trump campaign and secret meetings in the Seychelles and we could relitigate all mm -hmm. the all the various things that you have Mueller saying specifically that and this is a quote from Robert Mueller the bar memo did not fully capture the context nature and substance unquote of his work and this is not a guy no. who would write and complain for the most part this isn't what the guy did but man was he ever mad <laughs> about how this all went yeah 
Yeah. And and then you start to piece this together and you're, you start to see, well, huh, you've got all these people on the right who are friendly with Russia or have nice things to say about Putin. He's strong and he's tough and he's Christian and all this. But then you've got this guy, Matt Taibbi, and it's it's like, huh, well, he lived in Russia too. And he, he by his own admission, worked for a former KGB general mm-hmm. when, he, when he lived in Russia. And if you start putting together all these stories that Taibbi has done over the years, you start to realize that nothing he's ever really done is something that the the Kremlin or Russian intelligence would really have a problem no. with bashing bashing the Iraq war well they did that too they were they were fine with that mm-hmm. and then you start to look at his coverage of of Wall Street and billionaires and corruption well yeah the the Kremlin loves to paint the US as run by the corrupt elites who don't care about the average people and they steal and they lie and they take from you and it, you you see lots of criticism of of the drone strikes, which again was something that the Kremlin liked to highlight. And oh, the U.S. warmongers, and if they're not if they're not fighting in Iraq, then they're they're drone striking drone killing. civilians in the Middle East elsewhere. And to be exactly. fair, a lot of this stuff is valid. A lot of this stuff has sure. a very valid point behind it, and that's not what we're trying to say here. We're simply saying. Nope. Find me one thing that Matt Taibbi ever wrote that the Kremlin, that Russian intelligence would disagree with at all. Yeah, it doesn't mean he wasn't no a good journalist, and it, they were they were valid points. They were good articles. They were good takedowns. I I have one of his books. I have Griftopia around somewhere. Yeah, he was right on with a lot of this stuff. But <laughs> so I don't I, I don't know that Taibbi has changed, but I think. Once again, when we, we look at who he's criticizing and who he's going after, I don't think the Kremlin would mind. No. I think Taibi, well, he's gained like 600,000 followers since he started this whole thread. So he's he's making money off of this. I think he probably left Rolling Stone. Maybe it was mutual. Maybe it wasn't. But he's making a lot more money on Substack and with his podcast than, than he probably ever did there. And... It's lucrative and it's it's a career choice and he can make it. But I think the consistent thing with him is this guy lived in Russia for years. He wrote a book, which he claims is fiction, fiction right. but was published as nonfiction, where he talks about raping underage girls and other other women who worked for him. So if you're looking at a guy who has reason maybe to not piss off the Russian security services, I it looks i would i would point to a guy like taibi and say he might have reason to to worry about that and to make sure that he's he's following a certain line and, and if you go back and again, you read, this, read stuff he was writing back then it's you know the de rigueur criticism here and there of putin but for the most part the people he's ripping on are the americans he's ripping on yeah. the country he's ripping on the way that the americans have treated things in russia since they've come over there they don't mind if you criticize the guy a little. They've never minded that. As no. long as the bulk of your criticism is directed at the people they really don't like. That's how the game works over there. He's going to frame it in terms of, well, I've, it's Elon is taking on the establishment or, or <laughs> the deep state or the security services, the CIA and the FBI. And he's become enemy number one of, of all the elites. And he's revealing things that they don't want told. and 
And then you see this thread that, yeah, you're right. It At one point, it was taking Taibi 15 minutes per tweet. Yeah, he got up to 20 minutes. Okay. I was timing yeah. this. And he got up to 20 minutes, and I found myself like, looking back, did you miss it? Did, no, he didn't miss it. He's still there. And it was just, man, the thing about taking 20 minutes in between tweets like that is it gives some good comedy a chance to happen on Twitter and the replies to that were just lit. Some of the yeah. tweets that people had talking about this whole thing were just hysterically funny. And it just seemed by the end that his heart was not in this. He was leaving off tweet numbers. He was taking a really long time to get these out. Almost seemed like he realized there just wasn't really a whole lot there. It, it looked like he was writing it in real time. Like he was reading the material and trying to tweet it out. And normally with something this big, you'd expect it to be pre-written. Right. You'd expect him to take a little time, which you can do in a day. Or, but they, they rushed this out. It was Elon said it was going to happen and then it had to happen. And it's not clear why. There's no clear reason that, oh, God, it had to be done this day. They couldn't have they they could have taken 24 hours or 48 hours or whatever and actually put something together and maybe even found Taibi an editor to right. sort of <laughs> sort of clean this up a little bit. But for whatever reason, they didn't. And, and honestly, maybe it's just as simple as Elon had this and Elon wanted it out and Elon said, put it out on this day and Taibi did his best. But yeah, like you said, it, there wasn't a lot there. Nope. It, it started off kind of looked like he had a rhythm and was going and okay. He had a little introduction and it's going to build up. And, and then there was never really anything. Every time he kind of started to give an indication that he was going to have a bombshell it didn't happen or it, it just kind of petered out. So the first big bombshell that I think he tried to drop out of the thread was the links to the tweets that the Biden campaign had apparently <laughs> complained about and Twitter had deleted. And everybody on on the one side is kind of like, oh, what a scandal that they did this. But then people started looking for those tweets in the archives and they realized it was basically like revenge porn. Yeah. They were posting pictures of like literally hunter biden nude and yeah sorry guys that's not gonna fly that's there's a tos here and regardless of whose hog it is that's you know in the pictures it's not gonna be okay you can report that and it'll get taken down yeah and the, it was claimed by some people i know buck sexton was the big name that i saw but that the government ordered twitter to do this as if Biden was already president, even though it right. was definitely right. the no, campaign. No, no, no. In 2020, that was Trump. It, right. He hadn't even been elected. Trump was president. Mm -hmm. he, the election hadn't happened yet. It was a request from the Biden campaign. And, and even Taibbi admits there were plenty of requests from the Trump White House to take down tweets. So, yeah, they didn't, they didn't order anything. And they had no authority to order anything because... Biden wasn't the government at that point. Um, no. He he was just a presidential candidate. So Twitter could have not done anything that they could have done that. And then maybe they would have faced some legal action or some other consequences. But again, that that was a choice that they could make. And as a company, they either looked at their TOS or their moderation team decided that, yeah, nude revenge porn probably shouldn't be on this website, whether nope. it's Hunter Biden or anyone else that you've never heard of. Right. Some angry, some angry ex. 
I mean, TOS is TOS on this. It's not, uh, seriously, it's not okay. This is not something we should be letting go. And it's stated quite clearly in the TOS that you're not allowed to post these kinds of images. Yeah. And sure, they made the right call. And I think people kind of realized that when they were looking at the the archives of this stuff, they were like, hey, wait a minute, this isn't anything that shouldn't have actually been taken down. And it caused everybody to sort of look at the rest of the project with a somewhat more skeptical eye. Well, and part of the reason that that even gained so much attention or people were able to make sure that that sort of takedown of the narrative went viral and got enough attention is because Taibi took so long. Yeah. Because everything was so slow and people people were looking around and saying, okay, we need to poke holes in this or we either need to verify it or fact check it. Just mm-hmm. what do we have here? Like, is any of this real? Is Does any of this make sense? And then people looked at it and then they had 20 minutes before Taibi's <laughs> next tweet. So that's more than enough time for someone to point it out and then retweets happen and everything just sort of builds. So I think before the right wing preferred narrative about this, about the Twitter files are like the Stasi files, it's all censorship and the government is watching you and big tech is out to get you. And it's digital insurrection and the country right. will never be the same after this. All those, all those things that nope. they had like put into drafts weeks ago, and they were prepared to to say about these these <laughs> tweets before it even got published. It didn't stick, and no one no one bought it. Nope. And part of that is because people are a lot smarter about these things than they were five years ago. They can smell the bullshit. Really, they mm-hmm. know they know the right wing is going to manufacture this, whether it's real or not, and they're much more skeptical than they used to be. The default position is now skepticism when these kinds of things come up, right? Which is honestly how we even how we even got here, because the the reason the New York Post story about. Hunter Biden's laptop and what supposedly was on there that got published in 2020, the reason it didn't take off like WikiLeaks and Hillary's emails in 2016 is because a lot of people learned their lesson. Mm -hmm. They're like, hey, wow, this looks really familiar. And these are the same people. And Rudy Giuliani is palling around with this guy who we think is a Russian agent. And they've been digging for dirt for two years. And gosh, this checks a lot of boxes. Mm -hmm. And they're still mad. They're still really, really mad that that didn't work and that they didn't just get that story just uncritically blasted out everywhere. But you look back at it and you're like, there were some legitimate questions about the material. There were some legitimate questions about the chain of custody of the material. There were some legitimate questions about the source of the material and Rudy and Rudy didn't want to answer those questions at the time. He blew off everybody who tried to ask him. He And he wouldn't hand off the data to Washington Post or New York Times. He would only go to the New York Post, which was a Murdoch-owned, Trump-friendly site, who were willing to publish it. But anyone else who asked, Rudy and Bannon and the Trump campaign, whoever else had it, said, no, we're not doing that. Right. And so they didn't run with it. And Twitter, Jack Dorsey came out later and other people at Twitter said, yeah, we overreacted and yeah, we shouldn't have put a warning on there about an unsafe link. So they've come out and said, we went too far. There was some suppression and we wish we'd done it differently. So they they own that. And I think it was understandable at the time for Twitter to feel like they had to do something. And I think yeah. they, they did go too far, but it all happened very quickly and It looked very familiar to them. And you had all these people on the right that were ready to blast this one story out. 
as if it was just God's honest truth, you know? Right. Exactly. This has all been proven. It's known. It's true. Take it all at face value. And Twitter's executives and content moderation, everyone else was looking at this and saying, okay, they're doing it again. And they're going to convince all these people. And it's going to be our fault if we right. do nothing. So yeah, they, they probably did over correct but it's it's not the story the right is selling because even in these quote-unquote twitter files you've got taibi posting emails Mm -hmm. of people debating this people at twitter saying can we really do this does this really correspond to our tos do we have evidence backing up this move and and there was a lot of hemming and hawing and uncertainty and it wasn't this united front of well, this is going to hurt Joe Biden, so we just we just won't let it happen. They sold this great revelation, and really you've got people who are sitting there and doing their best with incomplete information. And trying to do their job. And, you know, there's no smoking gun. Yeah, not yet. They were looking for a smoking gun, and they didn't produce one in the first batch. And honestly, with the way that it got presented, there's virtually no way that even if there is something significant in there, you're going to be able to get people to pay attention to it. They shot their shot, as it were, and it did not land. Yeah, and it's it's been what has it been? Was that Saturday? That was Friday. Friday. That was Friday oh, night. No, it's, it was Friday night, and Elon promised round two would be on Saturday, and it is not here yet. No. Nope. So nope. when's when's it coming? Is it coming? Is Taibi even up for has it? Has anyone heard from him? <laughs> he's he's posted some stuff, but he has not elaborated. No, he really hasn't, and. It really does make one wonder about what these stipulations actually were on it. Because he just sort of like petered out. He didn't stop it in any kind of grand fashion or hype that. He kind of got to a point where he stopped putting tweet numbers on it. It's really uh-huh. hard to follow these things. If you're going to tweet out hundreds of tweets, you, you have to number them. Give people some way to kind of come back to the, what was before. And he had stopped doing that at about 60, I think. Tweeted about five more and was like, that's it, people. I'm done. There's more. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. The rest is coming. And it's kind of like, oh, that's it, really? Yeah. Uh, And and Elon was thrilled, and he posted something about handled. Oh, Twitter said they handled those tweets that were requested to be taken down by the Biden campaign, and it was the ones of... Revenge porn. Yeah. Of course they did. Yeah. (laughs) Of course they did. Like, yeah, they handled it. They they handled... how they handle it when you report revenge porn. They take it down. Right. Very basic aspect of their job. Uh So Elon pretended to be happy. Maybe he was happy enough. I don't know. You had one House Republican go on Fox as soon as all of this was over and say, yeah, we're going to investigate this. We're going to we're going to haul every last Twitter exec in front of Congress, I believe, was make them testify. How could they and all this as if, yeah, that also appears to have been planned or coordinated. And that'll knock down the inflation rate. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But that's what they've that's what they've Mm -hmm. promised to do. And they're that's one campaign promise they'll definitely be keeping from the sounds of things. Yeah. Well, that's a whole lot easier than fixing literally anything. So speaking of things that are going to get investigated at some point, hopefully, um, (laughs) FTX CEO (laughs) Sam Bankman Fried gave a phone interview this week to journalist Tiffany Fong, and it was a banger. Among the things that they covered were a rather startling admission from Sam Bankman-Fried that he donated an equal amount of money to the Republicans in the 2020 midterms, but he did it as a dark money donation because, in his words, he knew the press would freak out. 
So, Jay, am I doing the math right here? Because if, if this is true, and we should caution, he could be lying about this. He's not the most credible guy at this point. But if this donation really happened, it would seem that between what Sam donated as dark money and what his co-CEO Ryan Salame donated over the table, FTX may have actually donated more money to Republicans than Democrats in the midterms, right? Yeah, several million dollars more. Wow. Yeah. That is not what I was told. <laughs> <laughs> there goes that narrative. Ooh. Yeah, it's Salami donated $24 million and Bankman-Fried donated around $37 million to Democrats that we know about that's public. But he's now claiming that another $37 million went to Republicans in dark money, which we don't know for sure because the whole point of dark money is that we don't know. <laughs> Is we don't know. That's you've got stuff like Donors Trust, which is a this big right wing slush fund that we kind of have a good idea of which Republican billionaires are putting money into it. You've got the Koch brothers or and Richard Uline, and at one point it was Robert Mercer, the Bradley Foundation. You've got a lot of different right wing donors who we believe are putting money in there, but thanks to Citizens United. We just don't exactly know who put in what, when, or how much. So it is entirely plausible that Sam Bankman-Fried did this. I don't trust him, but again, it could have easily happened. Thanks, Citizens United, for making that possible. Yeah. Uh, we, we absolutely need to reform that and do something about it. But yeah, it's it's just kind of... Incredible. Bankman-Fried has mentioned this on Twitter and said that he and Ryan Salame worked to set up crypto donations for Republicans and Republican campaigns. We know he he gave some money to Mitch McConnell's PAC, and that that is public. But by and large, it was almost entirely donations to Democrats that were public. But the idea that he donated this kind of money to Republicans in a dark money donation just really changes the entire narrative. He he, in that interview, kind of laughs at the idea that he could have masterminded some kind of conspiracy. Yeah, the whole Ukraine Democrat money laundering scandal. He just he just sort of says what? And yeah, <laughs> I wish oh. I wish that I knew how to do that. And but he, he, I think he says something too about why would I do that? It's quite telling that the right has made up this narrative out of nothing that because there are these very tangential links between. Ukraine and the Democrats and FTX that, ah, there's, we've uncovered this massive scandal, except we haven't. <laughs> but the funny thing is he didn't have to do that for Republicans. He just gave a bunch of money, 37 million, he says, in dark money that can't be traced because it's that easy. Uh -huh. So you have this huge, massive supposed scandal and operation that no one can quite understand or explain and Tucker's talking about it and everybody everybody on the right is was focused on it and now they've kind of they kind of took a quick break for their Twitter files and <laughs> and they're going to be back they're they're already back because Elon Musk has now up the ante and said well I think Sam Bankman-Fried has donated over a billion dollars to Democrats probably he added the probably <laughs> because <laughs> because there is no evidence that yes yeah and then he asked a question of uh, where did the money go like what money? The money you just made up? Yeah, let's let's trace the money that doesn't exist and see where it went. But of course, that becomes a story and that becomes something that Republicans can later 
argue about and search for and it was proven elon musk said it on twitter he wouldn't lie he's the world's richest man he just knows these things Uh he just knows how it works and someone must have tipped him off or something it can't just be he couldn't have just pulled it out of his ass or anything like that no no couldn't couldn't have just been completely made up by this manic billionaire who discovered after a midlife crisis and a divorce that he really enjoys shit posting tale as old as time and he's just really in the hole with this right this this twitter purchase has really got him in the hole and tesla's stock has gone down and he at least needs one side to love him and republicans will love him if he says this Mm -hmm. so he he keeps going on and on about bashing Bankman Fried, even though at one point Elon, in some text messages, told Sam that he could roll over $100 million into Twitter. Now, Ooh. yeah, when Elon purchased it, he said, uh, yeah, just just go ahead and roll that over. And now, of course, Elon does that. I didn't do that. And he does, Sam Bankman Fried doesn't own any of Twitter. Just a coffee and, boy. Never heard of him. Right, right. With that stuff. Who knows? Maybe maybe he didn't actually roll over the hundred million. But if Elon has just known this guy is corrupt and it's so obvious that he's been scamming people a few months ago, you were telling that guy that he could he invest in your Twitter purchase. Wow. Yeah. Weird. Weird. But suddenly Republicans hate this guy because FDX crashed and we've got this whole narrative about Democrats in Ukraine and and maybe the CIA is involved with money laundering <laughs> in Latin America and yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> God, it doesn't even sound it doesn't even sound real when I start <laughs> Let's start saying it. Doesn't have to make sense. It just has to hold them till the midterms or hold them till the election. And they they are writing these articles and they are claiming these things are happening. So those future House investigations are going to go look for it. And you will see people quoting this stuff in addition to all the rest of the stuff that they're quoting. You will see these things being quoted like it was proven that Sam Bankman Fried gave all this money to Democrats. Oh, yeah. and it was proven that they did it through Ukraine. And it's kind of like, it's, how's it proven? Well, I saw it on Twitter. Cat turd. It was cat turd. <laughs> he proved it. <laughs> cat turd. <laughs> yep. Oh, good old cat, cat turd. turd. Um, that's a, that's a good source to have who can now finally uh-huh. speak freely because Absolutely. of Elon Musk. They would have censored this before. Haven't you heard uh-huh. about the, the censorship? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not done. No. They're kind of poking around and fishing and seeing what'll work and what won't. But it really is something to see Sam Bankman Fry just come out and, and say this and say, yeah, I donated the same amount to Republicans. That really threw him for a loop. Mm-hmm. But man, Elon was was quick on the draw with his, well, no, 37 million. That's nothing. It was over a billion. And I, the one, the one thing I did want to say is that, so Sam Bateman Fry did say he wanted to one day donate that amount to Democrats. He he did mm-hmm. say that, and it was earlier this year. And maybe he was lying about that. Maybe I, I think the guy's been lying about quite a few things. So maybe he never meant that. Maybe that was just a, a PR move, or maybe he did mean it one day. But one day did not come. No. <laughs> Just the fact that he said it does not mean it occurred. Uh, doesn't mean he donated 37 million to Republicans. Definitely also doesn't mean he donated a billion dollars to Democrats. It's a thing that maybe he meant. But I, I am sure that 
as that narrative kind of evolves and grows, they're going to point back to Bankman Fried's statement about a billion one day. And that, again, like you said, it's well, it's true. It's proof. They're going to screenshot that and say, well, he did it. And where'd the money go? Well, he didn't do it because there, there's no evidence that he did it. But they saw it on Twitter and Cat Turd posted about it. Right. So it's going to he's credible. It's going to be enough. I mean, you get your news from the litter box, really. I mean, it's absolutely <laughs> you scooped it out of the litter box. It must be true. His words, people, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> when they write the history of this era, they're going to come up with stuff like that. And they're going to be like, what the hell were those people thinking? <laughs> they were telling you right off the bat what this was. And you didn't get yep. it. Oh, yep. wow. You didn't. I, I can only hope that in 50 years, we are our kids and our kids' kids are much more savvy about the things they find on the internet. I think they will mm-hmm. be, but man, it's a golden well, age of stupid well, that right now. Well, depends on how soon we manage to get TikTok shut down. <laughs> oh, that's a whole nother episode right there. <sighs> yeah, we'll, we'll get Yes, there. we will. <laughs> so uh, we keep coming back to this because, well, he keeps coming back to this and... After Kanye West, or Ye, announced his 2024 presidential campaign, he hired far-right trolls Milo Yiannopoulos and Nick Fuentes to serve as advisors. He then shows up at Mar-a-Lago with Fuentes and afterwards begins a media tour of sorts, uh, visiting Tim Pool's studio, later appearing on InfoWars. And in both interviews, Kanye refused to follow any sort of script and ended up making the interview about what he wanted to talk about. And if you've been following the news around him lately, you can probably guess where that led. His anti-Semitic remarks made both Poole and even Alex Jones uncomfortable. And their attempts to rein him in simply did not work. And on Sunday, Milo and Kanye parted ways. Do you think we should call this a political campaign or has this evolved into something else at this point? I think they're going to keep calling it a political campaign, but the biggest kind of influencers that I see pushing it now are Nick Fuentes, who's still officially being paid by Kanye in some sort of way, and Andrew England over at the Daily Stormer, who's back on Twitter now and trying to keep his account and posting lovely things about Jesus and his uh, his Twitter profile has Bible.com as the website in it mm-hmm. because he's claiming to be a good boy now who only wants the world to be peaceful and good. And yeah, I, it's obviously a lie. I think we're going to talk plenty more about that. But he's glad to be back on Twitter and he definitely uh, wants to keep his account as a lot of these guys do. And they are, I think they've they've learned now that they need that Twitter account, but be careful what you say. And when you need to say the crazy, awful things, you go ahead and say that on your on your website or your podcast or your show. I think Twitter is just kind of a recruiting ground for them. And that that's, I think, an article we'll have to we'll have to write and, yeah, and talk definitely. about later is giving these guys a mainstream platform to be active on means that people will flock to them. They will flock to their Twitter accounts and then more people are going to read their sites and listen to their shows and podcasts and they are going to grow their movement this mm-hmm. way. This is why deplatforming is a good idea with someone who is as racist and terrible as Andrew Anglin. Daily Stormer has the, his website has been banned basically everywhere, but he's he's still managed to have a .in 
Indian domain going. So he's he's still online. They find a way to keep going, mm-hmm. just like Alex Jones finds a way to keep going, just like Tim Pool is hoping to avoid having to do, which is why he very, very gently pushed back on Kanye West when I I, I watched the interview and Poole kept trying to redirect Kanye to talk about Trump and what did Trump say and how did the interview happen and who was there and how did it go? And he kept trying to do that, but Kanye kept getting more and more annoyed at being interrupted because he just wants to hear himself talk. Uh And every time his mouth opened, it was about the Jews Mm -hmm. and why he doesn't like the Jews and why the Jews are after him. And it's terrible. And Temple wanted to dog whistle and kind of, oh, well, the corporate press or the elites. We don't say that out loud here. Right. The globalists, but we don't mean Jews. We just mean globalists. globalists. And yeah, Temple is is not afraid of dog whistling anti-Semitism, but he does not want to go full on Holocaust denial as Kanye has done and then proceeded to do on the Alex Jones show the next next time he got on. Right. Right. He he walked off the set with Tim Poole because Poole wouldn't wouldn't go there. And so Kanye left and and then he goes on Alex Jones show in a mask that completely covered his face and said that he's a Nazi and he likes Hitler. And you could hear it in Alex Jones voice that he was uncomfortable and this was too far. And he said something about we don't do the Jew hatred around here. He doesn't <laughs> like the Jew hating stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, uh. But again, Alex Jones, he 9-11 truther and Sandy Hook, he he denied that happened and he's billion and a half dollars down for denying that happened. Exactly. He's pushed some of the worst, most of the worst conspiracy <laughs> theories out there. But even he was like, oh, dude, just mm, can you can you chill? We're not doing the protocols, dude. Can't do that. It's not. Yeah. So. Uh, Kanye's crazy just cannot be contained. And I think we both agreed that this was some degree a MAGA, a Trump campaign stunt, just like it was in 2020. You've got Trump guys out there supporting Kanye yet again. And like, this is Trump running against Kanye, quote unquote, because nobody else is out in the field. But when you start saying, I love Hitler and I'm a Nazi and all this stuff. If Trump even mentions Kanye's name at this point, he's going to be criticized, and rightly so. Like you can't, you can't campaign against a Holocaust denier. No. You, you can't talk about that guy. There, there's nothing, there's nothing to fight against now. It's just Kanye's going to keep talking and saying the things that he says. Who knows where this is going to end up? Either. I mean, this is seriously when Alex Jones has basically declared that you're too crazy for Infowars. I mean. Really, he's guest hosting Nick Fuentes' show, you know, America First on Rumble is probably about as good as it's going to get for him right about now. Yeah, Nick Fuentes and Andrew Anglin are as quote unquote mainstream as he's going to get now because everyone else is. Yeah. No, not going to not when Tim Pool can't pull you off the ledge and you walk out because he's <laughs> because you're I, the, the thing. The thing that got me about Tim Pool's episode is there was one other guy that was co-hosting with him who was a Pizzagate pusher. It's the We Are Change. Luke Radowski. Luke Radowski. Right, right. Yeah. Like he's full on Pizzagate and and Seth Rich and all of this stuff that the the MAGA trolls have pushed. And he was he was in there 
acting like the the sane and reasonable voice in the room. <laughs> and it's like it, they've just it's gone so far. I think they thought they could kind of weaponize or control Kanye and and point like push him in a certain direction. We're going to have you go on Temple and Infowars and let's let's have you do the rounds and you can talk up Trump and all, but it just there's no control in that guy. There just isn't. He is yeah. he is in a place right now that very few people can reach. And he is just I mean, where do you even go? He's just <sighs> Well, yeah, I, I guess my my comment was like Kanye's crazy broke kayfabe, mm. and maybe you know of some examples. And well, yeah, there's a rather kind of famous one in the wrestling business, a guy by the name of Brian Pillman, who um, at one point did an angle where he was the loose cannon, and he got himself quote unquote fired from World Championship Wrestling, where he was working at the time, and right before he was fired. He did a match with a guy named Kevin Sullivan, who at the time was in charge of booking, in charge of like basically putting the scripting together. And it was an I respect you match and you win when you make the other guy say you respect him. So Pillman beats up on Sullivan for a while and Sullivan's not saying anything. And finally they switch and Sullivan starts to go on offense. Pillman grabs the mic and says, I respect you, Booker man, threw it down and walked out. And everybody was like, oh, my God, what just happened? So Pillman supposedly gets, quote unquote, fired for that from WCW, huge break of kayfabe at the time to say, oh my God, Sullivan's the booker. Cause people kind of knew that, but they weren't admitting to that. He shows up then in a promotion called um, extreme championship wrestling out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and proceeds to do an interview that is just one of the most unhinged things you'll ever see, where he says a whole bunch of really horrible things about his, his previous employer, world championship wrestling, the guys that ran it. And then he proceeds to start in on the crowd that's watching him right there. And he proceeds to start telling them exactly how bad he thinks they suck. And finally they end up cutting him off, but it's just like Pillman at that point was working, shooting, who really knows he ends up signing with the world wrestling federation. And because he's hurt at the time, he can't go in the ring. So he ends up doing an angle with Steve Austin where they implied that Brian Pillman shot him. And that got <laughs> all kinds of people upset. And when they get ready to go ahead and pay that off, finally Pillman ends up dying of a drug overdose. Mm. So he was obviously in a really, really bad, crazy place at that point in his life. And he was weaponizing that crazy and putting it on TV every week. And I think we're seeing yeah. something kind of similar with Kanye. I think so too. And I, yeah, the kind of equivalent moment there is Alex Jones cutting to commercial yeah. because Kanye's just gone off the ledge and if you if you go back and listen to the temple episode he's only on there for like 20 minutes but at some point he starts talking about the doctors the jewish doctors that are trying to yeah. treat him I mean, who even knows if they're jewish i have no idea it doesn't matter who cares he certainly thinks they are he certainly thinks they are but he's talking, I wasn't going to let him do that. I wasn't going to let him control me like that. And he says that they're trying to give him lithium and a rather high dose of lithium, which is what they gave Kurt Cobain. He wrote a whole song mm -hmm. about it. And it is serious stuff that they give people who have bipolar and have really manic episodes. They give it to schizophrenics. It is no joke. And for some people, it does work it does allow them to have some sort of meaningful 
life and, and control over their emotions, but you don't get a doctor trying to give you lithium unless that you really need help. There's something really wrong. Yeah, definitely. And no one is coming up to Kanye and making him take that or treat himself or just stop this. And he, he needs to stop, but it seems like everyone in his life who could have gotten him there has been pushed aside and pushed away. And now he's got Nick Fuentes and that guy's going to use him for every bit of money and donations and relevance that he can grab. And he doesn't care what happens to Kanye at all. And the end is not going to be pretty, but yeah, it's sad, but it's also, it doesn't change the fact that he's saying some absolutely terrible things that he is, he is elevating garbage, anti-Semitism, garbage. And we should point out, like a lot of people have, that there is no correlation between mental illness and anti-Semitism. Kanye being whatever he is at this point really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the things that he's saying right now. The people who are around him have far more to do probably with the things that he's saying than any mental illness does. Milo, up until recently, Nick Fuentes, these are the people who should be absolutely ashamed of themselves for taking somebody who's obviously not well and using him to promote their agenda. And their agenda is get rid of the Jews. Nick Fuentes has been very upfront about that. Andrew Anglin has been very upfront about that. He's got an article endorsing Kanye saying, finally, the Jews are going to get it, what they've got coming. Nick Fuentes has said the Jews better remember, you know, what happened the last time people got mad at them. These are people who have an agenda and they are not afraid to push it. And they are using Kanye West to do that right now. And those are the people, in my opinion, who ought to be just absolutely ashamed of themselves. He needs help. I don't know what they need. Yeah. They are, they are validating the worst thoughts and ideas in his mm-hmm. mind, which I think got there all on their mm-hmm. own. And everyone who said, no, that's, that's not real. That's not true. He just told him, no, he pushed him away and he found someone who would agree with him. And he has enough money that he can pay people who, and, and gives enough reason for someone like Fuentes to show up because he can get something out of this. He, he, there's a benefit to him if the show goes yep. on. And yeah, mental illness didn't cause this, but it has made Kanye more susceptible to being manipulated and convinced that these aren't crazy, horrible thoughts that he should stop having and that he's on some sort of downward spiral that is going to end quite poorly. It's the reason it's still going. And yeah, he, he needs help, but will he get it? Not around the bunch he's hanging out with now. No. They have no interest in it. So yeah, the last last that I saw, Kanye was posting on Instagram because he's now been banned on Twitter, which it's not entirely clear why, because he he did post some terrible things, but Elon Musk banned him, even though that InfoWars interview happened and Elon was still replying to Kanye with... Jesus loves you and God, he he was still showing some degree of support, which was odd, but on brand Mm -hmm. lately for Elon. But yeah, then Kanye kept posting. He was posting stuff about unbanning Nick Fuentes and Ali Alexander. He was posting about the the InfoWars interview and how great it was. 
And then he posted a horrible image of a swastika inside a star of David, which is terrible and ridiculous and should not be allowed on the platform. But Elon Musk said that it was an incitement to violence and not only took down the image, but permanently suspended Kanye's account. And I think Twitter has a pretty solid history of of removing Nazi symbolism for several years. They've been they've been doing that. You post swastikas, you post Nazi imagery, it's going to get taken down. But I, I don't remember it ever being a permanent suspension, not not on its own. And the whole thing, I know one of Kanye's last tweets, maybe his last tweet was a was an image of Elon that that got mean to death of Elon on a boat shirtless his chest was sticking out and his stomach was sucked in and some looking quite pasty yeah yeah I think Kanye captioned that with let this be my last tweet or something like that and I'm not saying that's why Elon banned him maybe Kanye probably deserved to be banned he deserved to be banned after the DEFCON 3 Mm -hmm. tweet about the Jews, but it's just odd. You get banned when you make Elon mad. It does. It does kind of suggest that again, we're living. Twitter is now a dictatorship Uh and the, the whims of the dictator are law and what he's going to decide or feel like next, or we don't really know. I think we have a good idea of which way he's leaning. It's, it's definitely right and right wing. And Man, the guy says stuff like the Twitter files are the are like the Stasi files, and I just think you need to get off 4chan. Go touch some grass, buddy. Spend a yeah. little more time on that he, boat. Get some sun. <laughs> he needs it. He needs it. But yeah, it's just not a it's not a good sign no. about where Twitter is headed. And I I'm fine with Kanye being banned. But the, banning Kanye at the same time you're unbanning Andrew Anglin and all these other accounts and they're no longer uh, stopping COVID-19 misinformation. It's it's just so arbitrary and up in the air. And I think we're in for a bumpy ride. I, I've seen something about it's been said or Elon has claimed that Apple is advertising on twitter again and that amazon is coming back and maybe they are maybe they aren't i but it does if you don't want to see what's happening it's easy to pretend like well twitter's a little different and it's a little odd but oh well and i think i think for us watching this day to day it's obvious that something bad is going to happen it's just a matter of what it's going to be and when but you let these people back on and let them keep talking like this. And we've seen this before, right? The problem is as long as Twitter is where narratives start for so much of the world, you're going to have this problem because everybody wants to be in that space. Everybody wants to have that piece of that real estate because they've got an agenda and they want to be able to push their agenda. And Twitter's where that happens because so many people are on it. So many people use it for news. There's really no equivalent to that. So this is why they fought so hard to get back on. This is why the idea that one person controlling this whole thing is just such a terrible idea. It's just, yeah, I agree with you completely that if it keeps going in this direction, this could end up bad. This could end up really, really bad. And hopefully 
Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully they, they smarten up a little bit. Hopefully Elon decides to not do what he's been doing, but hand it off to somebody else. Let, let somebody else take over. Yeah. And there's nothing saying he has to run the day to day. He can still own it. Somebody else can run it. That would be a hell of a suggestion, but it just doesn't seem like that's what we've got going right now. He's got a new toy and he no. really enjoys playing with it. Yeah. So I think we're going to keep going back to this and hopefully you understand why we, we think it's important, but it's not just about Twitter. It's about, like you said, the narratives and how they're going to evolve and how it's going to affect the real world. Yeah. And one, one person should not be in charge of the direction of the conversation goes. No. And right now it is. And that is just the absolute worst case outcome, I think of any of this is that one person gets to decide what you hear, what you see, what the news media is going to gravitate towards. And that's where we're heading. Hopefully that changes because no one man should have all that power. Thanks for listening to the did nothing wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to did nothing wrong You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four and the letter M all one word and Grizza BJJ, G-R-Z-A, BJJ, as well as DNW Pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong. <laughs>